This is Being Better, the podcast about the science behind mindsets and practices that make us happier, wiser, and healthier. My name is Julia Spohr, and I am your host. Join us as each week we break down scientific research and bring you true stories of people from all walks of life to help you make better decisions that will shape your tomorrow. conscious beings, transcendent awareness temporarily enclosed in this bodily shell. I hope you are doing great today and that you are ready to learn about all things regarding behavioral economics and why we fail to make rational decisions. This episode is a deep dive into the biases of our minds, the relationship between our conscious and unconscious brain and their role in decision making. It's about the science behind goal setting, habit development, and even our happiness. And finally, we learn about how we can use behavioral economics to grow our businesses and personal brands by understanding the minds of our followers and customers. And the person to teach us all that is Melina Palmer. Melina is a behavioral economist, the best-selling author of What Your Customers Want But Can't Tell You, and founder and CEO of The Brainy Business, which provides behavioral economics consulting to businesses of all sizes from all around the world. Her podcast, The Brainy Business, has downloads in over 160 countries, and Melina herself has contributed research to the Association for Consumer Research, Filene Research Institute, and runs the behavioral economics and business column for the Inc. magazine. She is the perfect person to talk about the inner workings of our minds, and I really, really loved her insights about how we can achieve even the most ambitious of goals by changing the status quo. So if you want to learn more, grab a snack, sit back or stand up or continue walking or running if this is what you're doing. And please enjoy Melina Palmer. Okay, editing Julia here. Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to let you know that we encountered some audio problems during our interview. And at some points, you might hear my voice in a lower quality sound. And that is just because my voice was recorded along with Melina's recording. And it's just a couple of seconds. And there's really not a lot of moments like this. But I just wanted to have that brief disclaimer and apologize. But now, okay, I really am done. And without further ado, enjoy the episode. So, Melina, thank you so much for coming. I am very happy to have you here and to learn all about, well, behavioral economics. Uh, How are you doing these days? How are you feeling? I am doing very well. Thank you. (laughs) I um, think, you know, I just submitted the manuscript for my second book. So, still in a not fully like zen after it because there's still stuff to do but phase one is done so that's always a good thing yeah I can imagine that in the back of my head I've been always dreaming about maybe writing something someday but I think mostly what I've been hearing from authors was like books are like it's very hard and it's sometimes like not worth it to put the effort but I guess it depends on the different person so you would say that is rewarding uh, to all the the effort yeah i i mean 
uh, writing my second book in two years. I obviously think it's worth <laughs> yeah, worth the effort for that. It is a lot of work though. So it's not, and, yeah. uh, you know, the advice I give to people is also it's, you know, and I say the same thing with podcasting is the thing itself isn't something that's going to be like making you rich, right? Like people don't mm. become rich off of writing books. Yeah. That's, that's what I often hear. <laughs> but it's about the greater impact and what they're able mm. to do for you. And, and, you know, if it is a fit for your life and business and, and whatnot, mm. then, then it's totally worth it. And if it's not, then it really feels it's not worth it at all. Cause it's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. Do you have any tips for new writers? If like, what have you learned from writing now two books? The, uh, yes, I would say the big thing being that you just need to get started and do a little bit every day, which is advice I give on mm -hmm. any sort of goal. And so you need to know, you know, getting over the hurdle and like they, you kind of say in writing, it's the We'll just say bad first draft, uh, being able to get the whole, all your thoughts out and then step away and then be able to come back with fresh eyes and edit it is, is important. And you have to write all that stuff that kind of sucks and get it out of yeah. your head so you can get to the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's what I heard. Like that's the writer's block. It's not a real thing. It's just that you have to let go of the expectations of what is good and what's bad and just write and just not expect it to be perfect. That's I, at least what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, depending on the definition, writer's block can be real or not. Right. But it's mm -hmm. uh, doing something that's even the, and this is all about, you know, brain science stuff too, but being able to get a little bit of something out and knowing that we do like to get distracted. Uh, it's okay. You shouldn't expect that if you have an eight hour day that you're going to sit and write for eight hours and it's going to be perfect. You know, I, on this book yeah. too, I rewrote and moved, shuffled things around like four times, which was frustrating, mm. but it's, you know, getting it all out and then going, uh, that's not, that's not quite the right way to to put this. And I need to like, try to move it around. And how does that fit? And how does that fit, you know, yeah. be okay with some days you're going to write a bunch of stuff and you're not going to use any of it. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for all those tips. I'm sure that it will be helpful for me and for all the listeners that are interested in writing and kind of speaking uh, of books, speaking of different media that can help us go forward. I want to ask you for your recommendation for us this week. So speaking of different books or movies or products that you've been using recently that help you or are thought provoking or just pleasant, what can you share with us? Well, I would say uh, the book that I have been recommending the most and who I've been talking about constantly is, uh, so her, her name is Zoe chance. She's a professor right. of behavioral economics at Yale. And she just wrote a book that came out, at uh, the beginning of February, end of, um, end of January, that's called influence is your superpower. And mm. it's phenomenal. The thing mm. to, that I've been talking about a lot is one of the pieces in the book, a little nugget that's so useful is she talks about the magic question that you can be asking okay. people to get them to, um, be more likely to kind of help you as you're moving forward on something, which is to ask, what would it take? So what would mm -hmm. it take 
to get you as a guest on the podcast? What would it take to, um, you know, to write this, to get a book written? What would it take to help me get that promotion? What would it take for me to be uh, more focused and relaxed in my daily life, right? That is a thing that you are able to ask of yourself and of others that makes it more likely to uh, move forward and get things done. So yes, Influence is Your Superpower by Zoe Chance. Highly recommend. I really love that. I really love that question. What would it take? And I think this is one, this is something that can very often like I don't know, give us like a shake when it comes to our like dreams or our hopes for the future. And very often um, we, I don't know, hold ourselves back because we don't believe that there this is possible. And actually when you like write down the steps of what it actually takes, then you you like sort of suddenly realize, well, actually this is not so unrealistic. And right, I can be an author if I write consistently every day a bit by bit or if I make a podcast bit by bit um, that is possible and suddenly these like every day doing something can bring you closer and suddenly you can really do things that you never thought are possible so I really like that recommendation I will definitely check that book out and link it in the episode description for everyone to have an easy access uh, to that amazing book and also to Melina's new book I mean previous one and I'm sure your new one will be um somewhere also to find have the pre-order started uh not yet so the um like legitimately sent the manuscript like three days ago to the publisher oh, okay. so <laughs> okay but that assuming things go as planned uh it's looking like October uh, so fourth quarter of 2022 for the book to come out but pre-orders okay. would start before that <laughs> Okay, well, that will be in the episode description. And now let's dive deep into all of the different things regarding behavioral economics. And I think let's start with the biggest question. Uh, What is behavioral economics and how, well, when it comes to you, how did you first become interested in it? Yeah, so behavioral economics is a field that came about essentially because traditional economics assumes logical people making rational choices in everything Mm. that they do. And that's what models are built on. And because we're all human, we know that's not really the world that we live in. We all know that we should, you know, eat right and exercise. And we often find ourselves uh, binge watching Ted Lasso and eating chips or something, (laughs) right? Which that was going to be originally my recommendation was uh, Ted Lasso (laughs) because I rewatched that while I was writing. So that's good mental Mm. state stuff. So that is um, the kind of why, what it is, why, why it came about. It's this mix of psychology and economics and understanding, trying to find a way that we could better predict behavior of what people will actually do instead of what we think that they should or have thought they should over time. And so Mm -hmm. that is how the field came together. You had people either working together on projects or entering into one another's fields to find these uh, paths or threads in the brain. And that's that's how we got here. So for myself, when I was doing my undergrad, which is in um, business administration and marketing, Mm -hmm. I took, there was just like one paragraph of one book and one class, just this like little tidbit that was about 
buying psychology and why people do the things they do buy the things they buy the choices that they make. And I thought it was just the most amazingly fascinating thing I had ever Mm. seen. And, you know, before I even finished that undergrad, it kind of changed course and was like, I'm going to like go back. I'm going to get a master's in this. Like whenever I go back, this Mm. is the thing I want. And I spent the better part of 10 years calling universities and them saying like, that's not a thing that doesn't exist. Sorry. Uh, you know, you you can uh, create your own program or something, but it, it just isn't, isn't a thing. So I started working in, um, in marketing and brand strategy, loving the work that I was doing, taking courses in, uh, was in kind of like a fellowship program of innovation is the best way to explain it in the industry that I was in. And, And one of these sessions, they brought in people from what's called the Center for Advanced Hindsight at Duke University, and that is their behavioral economics wing. And they were talking about the research they were doing, and I realized this is the thing that I had been looking for for a decade. And so I had some conversations with them. They said it was called behavioral economics, and I found myself a master's program and and jumped right in. Mm. And discovered that, um, I knew I was at least somewhat early in the space because I had been looking for it for such a long time and there weren't options, but found, especially in the applied side of behavioral economics, nobody was really talking about the stuff that was so obvious to me about how you use this for marketing communication and pricing strategy and businesses to reach their goals and change management and communication. And, and so ended up kind of, uh, doing the, like, why not me and (laughs) launched the podcast. Mm -hmm. And it was the first really in the world of behavioral economics applied in business podcasts that existed. So people were finding it from everywhere and it just sort of snowballed from there. Yeah. Including me. I really like it. And I think it is very helpful. Um, also in the episode description. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, I really love, listening to people's backstories and the moment like it suddenly clicked for them and that fascination with something and I have to say when it comes to um, behavioral economics which is something that I just do very like as a layperson just listen to some podcasts uh, like yours and I, I also find I think this is a very fascinating thing simply because right we can understand that we are not rational and there are reasons there are rational reasons why we are not rational, right. uh, if that makes sense. And I, if that is for me like super satisfying because this whole thing, being better podcast, was born from my desire to understand what is this person, what am I thinking of, and how that influences the choices I'm making. And I think choices is like the main word behind behavioral economics. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about why is it that we fail to make rational decisions even when the stakes are very high so for example when it comes to our health or when it comes to like our retirement or when it comes to like starting a business or making choices about our very huge business for for some people that might be the case so is there something wrong with the way we think and is there something that we can maybe do to change that (laughs) i would say that there's nothing wrong with the way that any of mm. us think. So that I think uh, I would tie back to something you were just saying there that there's a lot of value for people. I think in 
seeing that the things that you do, like we are a herding species. And so knowing that a lot of the things that you do that maybe you find frustrating to know that other people do that too, and that it's normal to have that be your kind of default response is comforting that you can kind of get over this. Why can, it seems like everybody else is able to eat right or to save money or to do whatever. Mm. And I'm doing something wrong. What's wrong with me? As long as you're in that state, it's nearly impossible to make a change because your brain gets overwhelmed so quickly focusing on that sort of negative space. And you can't break free from it while you're stuck there. So I think Mm. for one, being able to say, whatever you're struggling with, there's nothing wrong with you. You, Mm. there's a, a reason that you're wired to default to that as we all are and understanding that and then choosing to move forward is very possible. If you want to work on that, that's like my opinion and approach based on the science that you can make it a change. And so with that, some of the examples you were giving being things like exercise or saving money really are rooted in something that's called the, uh, So in the field, it's called hyperbolic time discounting, which is a terrible name uh, for anyone else to remember. (laughs) (laughs) So I call it the I'll start Monday effect. Oh, I love that name. That is something that will for sure remember. (laughs) Yeah, right. So this is for everyone who has had, you know, Saturday night, let's say, and you say, okay, this is the last glass of wine, piece of cake, Mm -hmm fettuccine alfredo whatever like the last of these (laughs) that i'm going to have and like starting monday i'm changing everything i'm gonna start my exercise plan you maybe spend then all day sunday cleaning out your fridge and your pantry and buying healthy stuff and prepping your meals and making your plan of how you're gonna go train for a triathlon or a 5k or whatever (laughs) and you like do all the work and you feel awesome and you're ready to go and you set your alarm for 5 a.m. when you go to bed Sunday, like, yes, the new me is here. And then the alarm goes off. You're like, oh, like to, like, (laughs) I don't know. Obviously. I think we all know that. Yeah. Like I didn't sleep that well. And you know, if I'm going to start a new thing like this, I need to be like, really ready for it. So I'm going to take mm-hmm. one day for me. I'm just going to hit snooze. And then tomorrow is going to start mm-hmm. the thing. And then tomorrow, 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 you know, you have it ne- tomorrow never comes yeah. in that space. And then at some point you just give up trying. And so mm-hmm. we may ask like, why is it that I feel like a totally different person when I wake up in the morning from when I set the alarm and, and all those plans the day before. And it is, because you know, science has found that when we talk and think about ourselves in the future, our brain lights up as if we are talking and thinking about a completely different person. So me committing future Melina to run a marathon and eat nothing but dry chicken on lettuce without dressing and whatever <laughs> is really easy because it's not me. And I can have my mm-hmm. optimism bias telling me how great this is going to be. It's going to be so easy. Uh, Melina, future Melina is going to write a book and she's going to like, climb mountains and do all these things in record time and whatever. Uh, when you then wake up, when the alarm goes off, that's you. 
and your brain kind of goes, oh, like I was supposed to do that. That doesn't sound good. I really <laughs> like sleeping right now. You know, so you hit snooze because, you know, you're pre-committing even to, you know, snoozes in five minutes, I'm going to want to get up. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I've never thought that, but that, that is also right. That like postponing the, the hardship thinking that our future self will be, will be better. They will have the energy to deal with that. I mean, they will probably for sure in five minutes, I'll be an entirely different person. Right. Right. And yeah. it's because you're, you know, thinking about someone else is going to be yeah, exactly. that at that time, which is why when we were talking about, you know, just even tips for writing a book or doing that thing that you want to be doing in the future, as long as you're thinking about it in the future, you, if you're not doing anything today, you're not going to be reinforcing to your brain that that is important. So another thing that's really important for people to know about how our brains work is that, um, you know, we like to think that we're, you know, logically, consciously choosing and doing all these things. We know we've got the supercomputer in there and that we're <laughs> deciding how to run applications or something. Uh, but really 99% of what your brain is doing is on a subconscious level. And so you aren't in control consciously of those choices. And it's it needs to be this way because we would never get anything done if we had to use the conscious part of our brains, uh, but it actually would use up too much energy and we couldn't survive. We couldn't consume enough calories to power our brains yeah. if we were to have more being done on that conscious level. So we need our brains to be using those efficient rules to do things, but the those rules of thumb, the heuristics and biases that the subconscious uses to make decisions are all based in things that have worked well in the past. And yeah. so it is making decisions, predicting based on a status quo that it wants to maintain. So when you want to make a change, knowing that your brain is relying on things that it knows and likes and that have worked well, you need to invest in creating a new status quo when you want to change a habit yeah. or a behavior. It is hard at first because you're trying to train your brain to do something new. So an example of this would be if you think about when you learned to drive a car, it was, and if you, anybody who's recently been maybe teaching someone to drive a car and it's yeah. so stressful and you feel like, oh my gosh, where am I looking? What are my feet doing? Which pedal is this? What are the mirrors in my hand? And you're just like so stressed about everything, yeah. right? But the last time you drove your car, there's nothing like that. <laughs> you don't have to yeah. think about any of it because your subconscious yeah. knows how to do all those things. It's still making all those same choices, but you don't have to be consciously aware of it because it's become a habit uh, until maybe you're driving over a mountain pass between a semi truck and a guardrail in the pouring rain in the middle of the night. And you're just like, Ooh, <laughs> like something has happened. You can feel your brain yeah. essentially like slow down and you're really focused and you can then feel every little like micro movement of the steering wheel under your fingers and mm. you're super aware because the conscious is now having to really be paying attention because this is the most important thing to devote your attention to. This is also why you maybe need to turn down the radio when you're looking for a new address of somewhere that you haven't been before. 
which seems very strange, but it's because your conscious brain just can't take that much information at once when it's trying to look for something Mm -hmm. new. So when you want to change your behavior, it does take a little bit of investment, like learning to drive, you know, knowing it's worth it. It will be a little bit of reminding yourself, expecting it's going to want to kind of default back, but you can then be putting as many eggs in that basket essentially Mm. as you possibly can. And that's one of the other big tips I give to people is you really have to narrow your goals. So if you think about how much is going on, how much is essentially sort of working against you with that status quo, when you're trying to change a behavior, if you think I'm going to change the way that I eat and the way that I exercise and how I do my, um, work schedule, and I'm going to be more efficient here and I'm not going to watch TV and I'm not going to do this. Like you're never going to do any of it because you're Mm -hmm. able to kind of distract yourself to feel like you're making progress over here and ignore these other things. You never really get anywhere. Whereas if you say the most important thing for me this year is to write a book and that's it. Mm. And I have to be putting like a little bit toward that every single day, or it's, you know, getting my health in order or, uh, focusing on my family in a different way. You know, you pick the one thing that's most important and work toward making that happen. And then you can add in another thing down the line. Yeah. I mean, it kind of comes back to what we talked about at the beginning and about the book, because it comes back to, I, I heard once that we, overestimate how much we can do in a day and underestimate how much we can do in a year and that is also like if we focus just on this one thing because right our brain just cannot focus consciously on all those different factors if we just take it moment by moment and focus one by one and do it every day but little by little then we can actually work on improving on growing and on changing these habits but it can only work if it becomes a habit if it's unconscious like you said like driving like it's so interesting that there are some people who just get into a car driving from work and they don't even notice and they are home and they were just oh my god well i I drove there i i cannot remember driving like for this these 15 minutes and i think it is so interesting that you can go from oh my god i'm so stressed out in this car what are those different handles and buttons? And and this is like a weird time machine. But then you can just not notice even driving. And it is a pretty complex task. So if we can not notice even driving, I think you can really learn everything. And suddenly, like, I don't know, learning to play the violin or piano, it suddenly seems possible. So, um, yeah, I guess, again, coming back to that, it just... We just have to take it in parts and remember that we are not machines and not that great at multitasking. And you mentioned uh, a bit about heuristics and biases. And so I wanted to ask a bit more about that. And what are some other cognitive uh, biases uh, that might interfere with our uh, well-being or with our happiness, uh, with like our just daily well-being um and is there some ways apart from just awareness although i think it starts like you said it starts just with being aware of those patterns so so what are some of our mechanisms that are maybe are preventing us from being our happiest selves 
Sure. So in the space of, you know, just thinking about some things, if your goal is, um, to lose weight, or like I said, I have the, um, running habit or, you know, being less stressed or whatever. Um, and even for work stuff, you know, some of the things that we do is we have uh, something that's called the focusing illusion or the spotlight effect. Um, and Mm -hmm. that combines with confirmation bias. So in this way, when there's a quote from, uh, I believe it was Daniel Kahneman, who's a Nobel Prize winner in the field of behavioral yeah. economics. We are a big fan in this podcast. We're a big fan. Oh, good. Of okay. <laughs> so yeah, I really love like the thinking fast and slow is like the Bible. <laughs> good. Okay, great. Uh, well, anybody here, if you, if you can read thinking fast and slow, I know a lot of people think it's, um, it, it's meaty, right? It's dense mm-hmm. book wise. Yeah. Um, there are like, the Zoe Chance book I recommended, my books, I guess plural here for when the other one comes <laughs> out. Um, there are a lot that are much more user-friendly um, in, mm. as we get into some of this application. Oh, there's another really great one that just came out this year called Get It Done by Ayelet Fishback. Um, she was a guest on my podcast in episode 186, um, but that she talks about the science and motivation research and everything. So that's, that's really great too. Um, but when you look at, um, so O'Connorman says like, nothing is as important as it seems when you're focusing on it, right. As, as when mm-hmm. you are focused on the thing. So mm-hmm. when you're looking at something, then we get this idea of like, oh my gosh, this is the most important thing in the whole world. This can also combine with us being very loss averse. Uh, so we don't like to give things up. If you think about, if you had a goal of say, um, you know, decluttering, you know, going through the Marie Kondo sort of world of, uh, (laughs) you know, tidying up that you, when you look at the thing, like, let's say there's a sweater that's been in your closet for years and you haven't worn. Mm -hmm. And until you get in there, you're like, oh man, I have all those sweaters. I haven't worn them. I should just get them out of here. And then you pick it up and you're like, Oh, but you know, like I really love this brings out the color of my eyes or it's so amazing (laughs) or it it fits so well, or I remember I wore it to this party or it was a gift from my mom. Or, you know, you think about all the stuff when you're looking at it and then you can rationalize to yourself because you don't, we're loss averse. So we don't like the idea of giving up the thing uh, and you're just focused on it. You know, that you say like, well, I'm going to give myself six more months. If I don't wear it this season, (laughs) then I'm going to get rid of it. But it perpetuates, you know, the whole problem of of this, right? So uh, when you're focused on something, it feels like it's much more important than it is. And then you start, your brain will bring up reasons to confirm that thing. So if you have a, Mm. you know, struggling with imposter syndrome or perfectionism and telling yourself like, well, until I'm as good as so-and-so I can't start the podcast until I know all these things, I can't do this or that, um, until I, um, can run a mile, I can't start to run at all, which makes no sense at all. Right. Like, so until I'm at a certain level of fitness, I can't start my fitness program mm-hmm. right it makes yeah yeah <laughs> but you yeah but I think we're used to that that there are some like things that we 
we are not even aware of and when we speak them out loud suddenly we are aware like oh, this is not rational but right those are just mechanisms of our mind that you know it's like well i will just have a cheat day and that will make me more fit and it just it doesn't make sense but only when you say it aloud yeah uh so so those are some things to be uh to know that they exist that can be problematic again that's why we need to reduce the amount of things we're trying because you can see how you uh another concept is called bike shedding which i talk about Mm -hmm. as productive procrastination so it feels like i'm doing something really important over here and until i look at every single instagram profile to see what works (laughs) i can't start my instagram yeah until i Mm. uh research every single diet and exercise program to find the one that might work for me I don't have to start and really commit Mm. to this kind of scarier, bigger, more important thing. Uh, And there is a bit of just accepting, I'm going to try something and I'm going to commit to it for a consistent period of time. And even, you know, something as simple as like, I'm going to get outside for five minutes a day, like every single day, whether it's raining or not, like I just have to get outside and walk for five minutes and that's it. Like, that's the only thing Mm. I'm going to be doing, or I'm going to make one healthy food choice a day or whatever that is. And reducing clutter in your life can also help to make it so that your cognitive brain isn't so overwhelmed that then you are more likely to rely on those biases of the subconscious. So, uh, whether it's papers on the desk or post-it notes all around, it's constantly priming you or the little red notification bubble telling you how many unread messages you have uh, that causes a lot of stress and overwhelm. Yeah. I just wanted to say, I'm so anxious about all of the messages and this makes me even less likely to actually read them and reply. Right. Yes. So yeah, turn, that's a setting you can turn off. You don't have to see that (laughs) of what's waiting (laughs) for you. Right. It's I, I've turned that off. I also turn off all the push notifications, Um, so nothing's pinging me throughout the day until I'm ready to go look for, like, it is now time that I can be spending responding to LinkedIn and I can see the slew of messages that I have gotten because that's what I'm doing now, instead of it being like, boop, 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 and sending me a bunch of emails and, and things like that. Uh, so a tip for decluttering anything, whether it's, uh, so I teach a class on goal setting, um, through the human behavior lab at Texas A&M. It's a virtual three-week class. Um, and through that, we do this process of decluttering and talk about there's physical clutter, emotional clutter, technological, uh, mm. you know, type of clutter. You know, there's different stuff that can be impacting yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And so with any of it though, the, because of that loss aversion factor, one of the biggest things that you can do is you want to get the stuff out of where it exists now and then have a conversation of whether it gets to come back in. As long as it's in the closet, we use that sweater example, right? And you're picking up and going, "Mm, do I want to like take this out or or it's easiest to just hang it back up or to set it back down. If you take everything out, And then say, do I care enough about this thing to bring it back? Like, do I care Mm. enough to have it come back into my life and space where I now have this beautifully clean, like my desk is totally clean. There's nothing here. Like, do I really like this piece of paper enough that I want it to go back (laughs) into my office and sit on my desk? Like, that's very smart. Right. So if you get it all out 
it's much easier to reduce what comes back in mm. than if you're thinking about what you're going to take away. It's harder to mm. do. That is so interesting. I've never thought about that. But yeah, I guess it makes sense that we just are, we just want to preserve energy and we are pretty lazy. And if it takes actually something for us to put it back, then it's better to do that. And I guess I, I heard the minimalists say that a very nice way, if you wanted to clutter, is to put all your belongings, or at least like if it's too much for you, then half of your belongings and put them into boxes for and just pack everything into boxes and for the next like month or two or three you just if you want to use something you just take it out of the box and then at the end of the month or two or three you just come back to all the things that were left in the box and you were didn't have the need to use them and then you just donate them sell them get but the, don't go through the box don't go through the yeah. box before you go to donate it because of that focusing illusion i was talking about and the yeah. loss aversion then if you're like but i might want like oh i didn't need this particular pot or pan because yeah. i didn't make spaghetti but some maybe i'll have people over again yeah. you know yeah yeah exactly Yeah, I'm so like attracted to the idea of decluttering and I'm very interested of in what you say that there are different types of declutter like the emotional one and the technological one and um this is I think something that I I want to dive more into uh, like how technology affects our mental bandwidth and also like just the idea of our mental bandwidth and the energy that we have for our thinking processes and how that is seen in the field of behavioral economics and how technology influences that apart from uh, all these notifications that we talked about how is technology influencing our cognitive processes yeah so one of my favorite studies is one that was done that they asked people to you were given an envelope that had a number on a sheet of paper inside of it that you're told you're going to mm -hmm. have to remember you go through and do a series of tasks at the end you have to tell somebody what your number was um and so in for half of the people they were given a two digit number the other half were given a seven digit number and then they go through their tasks and we would like to think you know i remember seven digits all the time it's phone numbers whatever it's only five yeah. more digits it's not that hard one of the tasks they had to do along the way was choosing their snack which is essentially like how you get paid at the end and yeah. those who were remembering the two digit number were much more likely to choose the healthy fruit salad as their snack okay. those who were remembering the seven digit number were much more likely to choose chocolate cake as their snack yeah. and so if you think about this <laughs> you, you know, if I told you like your number is 12, I can ask you in a month and be like, Hey, what was that number? And you're like, Oh yeah, it was 12, right? Like 12. That's mm. easy. A two digit number. No big deal. Yeah. With a seven digit number, if it's, um, one, two, seven, six, three, five, eight, you know, you're like one, two, three, six, seven, five, eight, right. <laughs> three, six, seven, yeah. five, eight. Like that looks delicious. One, two, three, six, seven, five, eight. Right. <laughs> that yeah. you want the the yummy thing right so that the subconscious is looking for rewards that it gets from sugar and things like that mm -hmm. um and predictability and it knows you know cake, the chocolate cake is delicious i want that that looks good and when cognitive is stressed with just those couple other numbers it can make it right. so it'll get the opportunity to take the cake in that way this is also you know when you think about they say you should write down 
your list before you go to the grocery store. If, because if not, you end up impulse buying chips and soda and all the things that you're trying to stay away from because your brain is bogged down with remembering the 10 things on your list. So taking that time to write down the stuff that matters, having a system. So I think technology is actually very helpful in some ways in that we Mm -hmm. do have a mechanism to get things out of our brains, uh, and know that we can go back to them sometime if we need them. Like I use Trello as an opportunity to sort stuff and to where I know I need to follow up with somebody about a conference that I might be speaking at in three months or something, but I don't have to like hold that in my head. I can have it on my Trello board and it's going to do a sweep and magically remind me at the right time that I need to email them, you know, or, or prepare my slides or whatever it is. And so having a mechanism to store information, to come back to you when you need it. So you don't have to be holding onto it in your brain and no, it's not like piles of paper and post-its all over the world is a really amazing thing. One of the problems with technology is we also have things attacking us essentially Mm. all the time with, and if you do have all those notifications on your phone where it's constantly buzzing or dinging Slack notifications from work or email alerts or text messages from people, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, ding, 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 ding. We have this automatic response to go, what is that? And also because we're looking for a reward of like, Ooh, maybe someone liked my post. Yay. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, Ooh, how exciting, you know, your brain wants the, you know, there's anticipation. We get some dopamine that it likes to go see what it is. And it's always something lame, right? (laughs) Like, or nine times out of 10, it's not that amazing thing. We were building it up (laughs) that it could be, but it, it might be the next time. So uh, another really great book and someone who I had on the podcast. So is, um, near Al wrote a book called indistractable and he came on the brainy business to talk about it. Um, it's like episode 78, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. I have so, by the way, I have so much respect for you that you remember <laughs> which guest was on it, like which episode, like I, I have no idea, like yeah. literally <laughs> no idea. Like, I don't know. How do you do that? But it's amazing. Not, not everyone, every time there's definitely some like murky (laughs) in the middle that get messed up. And like, I can never remember the episode number for like priming and herding were 18 and 19. And I can never really remember which one is which, you know, that sort of thing. But, uh, (laughs) I reference them enough, I guess that they, they come up Mm. and I remember them, but, um, Yeah. So near AL's book, Indistractable has really great tips about reducing that sort of technological clutter in various forms. And again, uh, he has some information about, um, so you can't call anything a distraction until you know what it's distracting you from, which is why we need a priority and a goal. And I have this example being for social media. Uh, For me, a lot of my work is about building a brand and a following and engaging with people Mm -hmm. on social media. I need to do that as part of my work. But if I don't set aside times to say, I only do that from, you know, 8am to 10am on Tuesdays and Thursdays or whatever it is, it can very quickly be like, 
um, my brain is getting tired with the idea of writing another chapter or doing something on this book or creating mm. content for the courses that I teach or grading papers. It's like, I can get distracted and go do that thing, uh, and go spend time on LinkedIn. And it's a distraction if it's done at the wrong time. And it's keeping me from gaining traction, which as near says is the opposite of distraction is traction, but you can't have traction mm. until you know where you're trying to get to. So, yeah, um, that is so interesting. I've never thought of it this way. And this is like my favorite thing on the show too. like have my mind blown when it comes to the things I think I know about, like, I know how technology influences my well-being but I guess um it's not often that I'm thinking about it in terms of just right that mental energy and that I just get tired of all these different stimuli and ding 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 and it's too much sometimes and very often it's too much and so I think limiting that to certain um periods of your day will probably be very helpful um I want to move on at the end to talk about well the thing that you are an expert on so how we can use all of that knowledge all of the things regarding the way we make choices in terms of our businesses and I'm sure that not everyone who is listening right now is an entrepreneur but for those of people who are or who are just thinking about making a personal brand because that is also helpful like if you are just wanting to create a followership and just establish yourself in this very busy and attention craving world what are some of the ways we can implement this knowledge to understand uh, our consumers to understand our followers and what are some of the most common irrational i would say uh, mistakes that people make uh, because they just don't know about these things Yeah. So the big mistake I see from people in, in business or any sort of connecting, and especially like you said, in that sort of a personal brand or whatnot is we get really focused on why we need something and are creating stuff because we feel like we should, or we have to, again, being a herding species, um, and not creating stuff for the people on the other side, you know? So if you think about what people are interested in and how that aligns with what you're interested in, and you are sharing good information that you think they're going to care about, uh, you're going to be naturally gaining a following of people versus feeling like you're having to beg people to get onto the list or, you know, whatever it yeah. happens to be. Uh, the, I'm a big advocate for finding the right people who get you and, and really knowing what you're about. It's to me, you know, you can have a, a million followers on Instagram, but if they're not engaged and they don't care what you're talking about, they're just a bunch of bots, essentially like who cares? It's not going to do yeah. anything for you. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, where if you had a thousand or, you know, working up to 10,000 people that, just get it and love what you're doing, then it's going to be so much more valuable. And mm. you know, one of the things I find in, as people, when you think about a goal for business, you know, it might be like, oh man, I have to be in all of these places because I need to do this and that and reach so many people and do all the stuff. And you, you end up setting these like big aspirations of 
anchors of what you think you need. Um, and then what I'll say in, in doing, you know, consulting for people is, you know, like take a look at if you stop and say like for your own goal, like, and what it is that you do, the type of work you do, how many people are you actually looking to do business with you? And if you have people that are in a service-based business, especially if they do consulting or coaching, you know, it might be like 10, you know, it's like, man, it'd be amazing. If I could get 10 new clients next year, that would be a dream and say, you can then find a hundred people that are perfect for what you're looking for, invest in nurturing relationships with those hundred people and 10 will probably then end up doing something versus spreading yourself thin over trying to reach a hundred thousand or a million people mm. vaguely and having a little touch, you can really invest in people that it, uh, where it might matter and have a, a different impact in that way. So focusing on that, um, what you actually need and investing there, uh, can make a really big difference in just creating content that they want instead of what you feel like you need to say, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think this is something that people forget about, especially, I mean, I'm guilty of that, especially when you are starting like, right, a podcast or, or a business or whatever. You stop thinking about the numbers on the social media or just like the, the listenership as people as people who are you are giving value to and who have feelings, who have thoughts, who can critically think about what you are giving to them. And I think this is, right, maybe this is another example of why we are not rational because, right, we just see numbers and think of numbers. And and so what are some of the ways that we can understand how to give value how to create content how to create products to understand you know quote-unquote what the consumer wants but can't tell us um, and think of them as people not numbers that people who actually expect us to give something that will improve their life somehow yeah so knowing that people all of what we were talking about here, right? So there's that anticipation, dopamine, the notification, like, did someone mm -hmm. comment? Did somebody say something nice? So few people are taking the time to comment. I remember hearing once, and it's been like 10 years, so I'm sure that these stats are even worse now. You know, it's like for every yeah. 100 people who see your post, 10 will like it and one will leave a comment. If you're the one person mm -hmm. that's leaving a thoughtful comment and saying like, wow, Julia, amazing insights. I love what you had to say there. That's, you know, this was so interesting. People will be like, oh my gosh, like who, who is this? Who, who said that? That's so nice. How about the people that go and then reshare your content, right? And say like, here's this mm -hmm. podcast episode was so amazing. I loved the insights, such and such. That is an act of reciprocity that gets someone to remember you and be more likely to then want to share your content or when they are looking to, hire someone or someone says, Oh, I'm looking for, uh, you know, this behavioral economics. Do you know anybody that does that? And people say, Oh, you need Melina. Like, because I'm, mm. I'm out there sharing other people's stuff first, knowing, you know, you're investing in, in all of business and life relationships are really a long game of continual investment in these kind of micro 
moments? What's the one thing that you could do right now that someone else would appreciate? I wrote an article um, at Thanksgiving this last year that was, you know, instead of everybody asks, what are you thankful for? And then you say family, right? Health, <laughs> the, the, you know, you have kind of a habitual yeah. response that everybody says, but if instead you were to ask, what can I do to make others thankful this year or tomorrow? What can I do mm. to make somebody else thankful today? What can I do? Um, and man, someone would be really thankful if you were to say a nice comment or if you were to make a connection on their behalf or to share their information or to engage with them genuinely as a human. What a lovely practice. I really love that. Like thinking about not how you can be grateful for yourself, but how you can make others grateful. That is very nice. So that approach is something because we, um, are, again, we like to give back when others give to us that concept of reciprocity, which is one of 16 concepts that are introduced in my book, what your customer wants and can't tell you, uh, you know, you're able to give a little bit. People want to give back, you know, that's one tip of something that you Mm. can do. Okay. Lovely. And for the rest, you can go and buy a nice book that is in the actual (laughs) description. (laughs) (laughs) Lastly, I have one question because I there's this one concept that I keep thinking about, um, which is priming. And I know that you extensively talked about that and I really am interested in it. So what is priming and how we can take also advantage of that? So priming is that the something that happens just before a decision point is really impactful on the choices we make. Um, and so that even where I was talking about clutter and having a bunch of sticky notes and stuff around you all the time, it is influencing your brain. So, uh, one important tidbit of information here being that, uh, your eyes scan the entire room around you, uh, three, you know, two to three times per second that you're scanning the entire room and determining if there's anything important or if there's a threat or something that you need to be aware of. And so if you have, sarcastic comments about, you know, TGIF or man, I hate Mondays or can't wait for the weekend or whatever uh, Mm -hmm. around you or lots of clutter, your brain is taking that in continually over and over and over and over all day long. It's influencing you. And Mm -hmm. so if you know that you want to be more um, innovative or creative um, or focused or flexible. So this advice I always give of looking for, I do a word of the year. You can also have a choice of, um, a theme of if there's something that you want to be known for, you want to be known for being brainy or thoughtful or flexible or friendly Mm -hmm. or helpful or whatever. If you were going to pick one thing and you want to surround yourself with imagery of that, uh, things that make you think of that thing. It could be a a brand logo or something, or, you know, words that are around your house, uh, whatever it is, notificate those notifications on your phone that's saying, you know, remember this, I have my email signature, uh, the way I close out every single episode of the podcast is to be thoughtful. And it's a thing that I've surrounded myself with. And that I think is really, um, you know, it's important to me. And so thoughtfulness is something I want to be known for as well. Yeah, I took notice of it. Actually, I (laughs) thought that it was actually very interesting when I saw your email. And it was like, 
be thoughtful. And I thought, I will. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. And and it's so, you know, BE is capitalized because of behavioral yeah. economics and then it's thoughtfulness. Oh, most of, okay. Right. So there's more yeah, to it. That makes right. Sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, thoughtful toward others as well as asking questions of why we do the things we do. I, I wonder why that was. How did that happen? What might we do next time? You know, being inquisitive and curious, but it all kind of boils down to this one thing. And so, um, if you then want to, if you can pick one thing, then surround yourself with that, it'll start to show up. So our brains where I was talking about, you know, subconscious doing, you know, 99%, um, essentially your subconscious can sort through about 11 million bits of information per second. If you were to think about it, like a computer and your conscious brain Mm -hmm. can do about 40 compared to 11 million. And so there's huge amounts of stuff that the subconscious is sifting through all the time to determine what's most important for you to focus on. And so like when people ask you how you're doing and you say, Oh, busy, right. You are priming and setting up your brain to filter for, because your brain's going to find stuff to prove that it's right because it likes that and it's confirmation bias and whatnot. That is so scary because I am the person who always responds that I busy. So, Oh my God, you are just like blowing my mind. Yeah. So instead of saying busy, um, you know, would say, oh, I'm, I'm fantastic. Uh, you know, mm. I'm working on this new project or, you know, what do you want to be? And to say that thing and surround yourself with it, your brain will follow and it will show you examples of how you're, you're getting that. Or if you wanted to be, say you're grateful or whatever it is, you can, you can reshape your experience by putting in some of that thoughtfulness and surround yourself with what you want to be and your brain will continue to reinforce and prime itself if you take those steps. That is so interesting and so mind-blowing and I really never thought about how much I am just like looking at the room just subconsciously and and like taking in my surroundings but I guess this is this makes sense and I guess this kind of maybe is somehow related to the feng shui uh, kind of you know just setting up your surroundings and your furniture and just choosing the decor wisely because Mm -hmm. it is something that you take in and I've never thought about that and I guess the posters that you have and the calendar that you choose and the clutter on your desk that probably has to affect your the way you're working the way you're thinking and I've never thought about that and right now my mind is blown a bit (laughs) (laughs) well coming back to the you know Marie Kondo and the life-changing magic of tidying up if you only surround yourself with things that spark joy you find more joy in your life and so Mm. I kind of reinforce that with goals right so if you were to say is this going to help me reach my goals like does is this helping me to be the person I want to be or not and if it's if it is then it stays and if it doesn't then it goes you know so is this reinforcing who I want to be it could be a question you yeah. could ask too. It doesn't have to just be spark joy, but ideally the person you want to be is something that you find joy in too. But if you're only surrounded by that great stuff, um, then your brain is constantly taking that in. I really love that. And it's a beautiful note to finish on. So I want to thank you for this amazing discussion. It was so enriching and thought provoking and educational. And I will have... Also, a lot of notes that I have to remember for myself and I'm sure for all the listeners as well, because right for me, the quote unquote business business that I'm always talking about and just, the you know, postponing things for Monday, 
there are stuff that I need to work on. And I'm sure that it all starts with being aware of what we are doing. So I would suggest if you are thinking right now that, oh my God, I'm doing all of these things wrong. Um, just chill out for a second. It doesn't mean that you're a bad, bad person. We all think this way. We are just wired for that. And just do not be judgmental. That is important. And yeah, Melina, thank you so much for coming. There was such a, it was such a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So where can the listeners go if they want to learn more, learn more about you, your books and other projects? Absolutely. So uh, my website is thebrainybusiness.com. And the podcast is also called The Brainy Business. There's information there on the website for the podcast, for uh, books, for other content and things like that. You can also find me on all the socials as The Brainy Biz, B-I-Z, Melina Palmer on LinkedIn and The Brainy Business on YouTube. Okay. Well, awesome. And all the things also will be linked. And yeah, thank you so much. Thanks. Being Better is edited and produced by Julia Spohr. You can learn more about the show and about other work over at our website, beingbetter.info. And the Instagram is at beingbetter.pod. If you want to support us, the best way to do that is by word of mouth. So if you can, please tell your family, your friends, and what the hell, also tell your enemies. You know, we don't discriminate on this podcast. So tell them about the show, tell them about why you like it and about why you like the incredibly amazing and very humble host. You can also share it on social media platforms and if you tag us, we'll make sure to reply. Thank you so much for joining us today and I'll speak to you very, very soon. 